Hey guys, cold open. We have something magical to announce. This year, our Halloween special is a collaboration with Gore Report. Yes! On October 31st, you can join us on Burden of Proof as Alicia and Ray tell spooky stories while Gage and I add fun commentary. And as soon as you're done with our episode, head on over to Gore Report, where you can hear Gage and Savannah tell some more spooky tales. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Murder time! I'm Savannah. I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. It's after lunch. I'm sleepy now. (laughs) (laughs) I feel a little bit better. I have some caffeine in me now. I do feel better. Yes. Well, Well, we're about to feel worse. Oh, yay. Yeah. Well, can I say something first? Yeah. I just wanted to take a minute and thank all of our listeners. Yes. For being here. You guys are the best. I would like to hear from you more. I say it all the time. Yeah, we love talking. Um, but I am excited. I've noticed we've had like more downloads in other countries and stuff, which always yeah. excites me. And if you're new here, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Hope you're having a great day. We hope so, for sure. Hope we can add to your day. We hope we make your drive better or your cleaning time better or whatever you do while you're listening to podcasts. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. Okay, that's all. All right. I was I'm just gonna... thinking about our listeners. Oh, I wanted to I give them a shout you guys out. Are the best. We're, we truly have the best. So today I've decided I'm going to go back to my roots. In my, you know, a lot of my true crime cases, our, our longtime listeners will tell you I love a good child killer. <laughs> I love a good teen. Like, it's just for some reason they fascinate me. When you say that, all I can think of is Anthony from Queer Eye saying he <laughs> loves a good bad smell. I love a good bad <laughs> smell. Yeah, you just say that, doesn't you? I hate that. <laughs> it's just my bread and butter in the true crime world. It's just so fascinating to me. Yeah. This one, I I feel like some of us are going to have more questions than we have answers, unfortunately. Mm. But um, yeah, let's get into it. Today, if you okay. didn't read the title like a weirdo, we're talking about Alyssa Bustamante. Bustamante. And um, about a little girl named Elizabeth. I always want to say Bustamante, like Bust a Bust a move. move. Yeah, for sure. All right. Get in it. Let's get in it. I, right. This name seems familiar, but I also think I might have personally like been acquainted with somebody with that last name. So I could Maybe. be. I'm sorry to whoever that was, if that's the case, that yeah. I'm mixing you up with a killer. My apologies. Well, she had siblings. I don't know that. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people with that name. So, all right. Anywho, so, Alyssa Bustamante was born to very unstable and very young parents. Her mom was 15 years old when she had Alyssa. Unfortunately, okay. 15 would be the last year that Alyssa had free. Also, fun fact: her parents were by marriage cousins, so not by blood, but by marriage they were related. So by marriage cousins. Yeah. Okay. I don't. What does that mean? Like, I don't know their family tree, but like his. So like. I don't know. (laughs) 
I didn't fact check that. I saw it in one place. <laughs> By like maybe step, like a yeah, step maybe parent, step parent or something like, like a, that. Like you're like a step cousin, something like that. Yeah, because like if your families are always oh, I have cousins, I have cousins that I'm not blood related to for sure. How? So like technically by marriage on my mom's brother's wife's brother, his kids. Technically, by law, they're like my first or second cousin. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can call them cousins, but they're not your cousins. Okay, I don't know. Listen, <laughs> I'm not I'm sorry. a genealogist. I have a very complicated family tree. So I'm very invested <laughs> when people talk about family trees and cousins and whatnot because I should have fact my family this. tree confuses the hell out of people. So I'm very, I'm very interested. Okay, what? it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I saw it someplace, and I'm telling you. Okay, <laughs> I just wondered. Okay, okay. Well, maybe they might have been <laughs> cousins by marriage. I don't know. Okay. Unfortunately, Alyssa had a very rough childhood with her parents. She was often neglected, um, and both of her parents were addicts. Her father went to jail for a really difficult-to-find assault case. Like, it's pretty much off-grid. You can't... uh, You don't know what he did. Yeah. But he was in jail for over 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Her mother overdosed in front of Alyssa when she was just six years old. And it was after this event that her grandparents got custody of all of her and her siblings. They moved to St. Martin's, Missouri to live with their grandparents. And I'm not sure exactly how many siblings they had total because they were all minors. So it's kind of like, you know. But I do know for sure that she had twin brothers and a six-year-old sister named Emma. Emma was actually her half-sister. Okay. Okay. Alyssa was a decent student and her grandparents had really done their best to care for the children. She seemed to be super close with her grandfather, and the children were being raised to be involved in their church, which was a church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So her parents were, her grandparents and adopted parents were Mormons. Okay. Mm. And she never says anything negative about her grandparents or anything like that. Like, I think, I don't know. I got the vibe from, especially from her interrogations, that she is really close with her grandfather, and she seemed really comfortable talking with her grandmother and her grandfather. And you even see her caring about her grandmother's emotions and feelings later on. So I don't know if this is necessarily anything to do with them. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's never their fault when this sort of thing happens. It's always the perpetrator. But what I'm saying is, I think this was definitely more nature than nurture in this case. Like, yeah. she's being cared for. And yeah, almost all of the kids were. We try to be understanding of people's mental health issues because of their upbringing yes but at the same time we're never saying that like it's those people's fault it's not i mean it's just a mess the killer has to take responsibility for their own actions because there's lots of people who have been in complicated or messy Mm -hmm. or even abusive childhood situations and they don't grow up to become killers exactly so there you go. And um, it's actually pretty well known that all the other siblings were very well adjusted. Alyssa was pretty much the only one who was struggling. Okay. So, I mean, and she had been through more with the parents because she was older. Yeah. So. That's what I was thinking. It's yeah. usually, I mean, I hate to say it, but in a lot of families, the oldest children struggle the most because everybody kind of gets their crap together a little. If, yeah. Like, if, in if in if abusive all. situations <laughs> like this, yes, it does happen. Yeah. 
Often, yes. not all the time. Yeah, exactly. So she was, like I said, a decent student, and she seemed to be like, I mean, they knew she was having some mental health issues, but overall, she was a fine kid for most of her life. Yeah. Online and in her bedroom, though, Alyssa had a different personality. Interesting. Her persona, Bad Alyssa, oh. was used online where she listed one of her hobbies as killing people. She uploaded videos of her and her brothers shocking themselves on an electric cattle fence. And in the video, she captioned where she said she got basically saying, like, oh, like, this is the good part where my brothers get hurt. But she uploaded some very weird things online. She was also, like, bullying people online, too. She wasn't nice. She also, unfortunately, struggled with some serious self-harm and had horrible self-inflicted injuries. From a young age, she would cut and carved hateful words into her arms and even gave herself burns. Mm -hmm. Alyssa first attempts suicide in 2007 at the age of 12 or 13. She took a bottle of pills and was subsequently hospitalized. She was placed on a starting dose of Prozac. And two years later, in 2009, this dose would be upped two weeks before Alyssa destroyed lives. Prozac dose becomes later important. What? When did this take place? 2009. Okay. I'm just shocked that they would put a kid that age on Prozac. But I'm not a professional, so. Neither am I. But year, but that many years ago, maybe that wasn't. I don't know. Like having a child who needed to go on something at around the same age. Like I was told, like, there are certain medications you just don't. Yeah. That don't work well for kids. And I'm pretty sure that one was on the list. Well, maybe they didn't know that because yeah. she was on it. Alyssa had obviously a history of mental health issues from a young age. And despite measures being taken, unfortunately, it was not enough in this case to prevent tragedy. Dun, dun, dun. Hmm. It's a typical Wednesday night in the home of Patty Priest. She has several kids, including a nine-year-old girl named Elizabeth. On October 21st, Elizabeth was a busy little bee. She was in a play at her school, so she had spent the evening practicing her lines and songs for the play. Her mom was about to start cooking dinner when Emma Bustamante knocks on the door. Emma lived across the forest from Elizabeth, and despite their age difference, the two tended to play together often. Elizabeth was sort of annoying her brothers with the rehearsal time that she had spent on her play. And even though her mom was like, yeah, I'm about to cook dinner, but it's going to take a while. So like, yeah, you can go play for an hour, but you need to be back around six because it was five o'clock then. Mm -hmm. So I should have drawn you a little mappy map. But basically, there's a main road where Elizabeth's family lived. Down the road a little bit and back into the woods is where the Bustamantes live. Okay. It's a pretty long walk, and the girls are not supposed to do it by themselves. But Emma, for some reason that day, had come by herself to pick up Elizabeth. Hmm. So she told her, you need to be back around 6 o'clock when dinner will be ready. And she knew that Elizabeth, no, I'm sorry. She knew that Elizabeth would be home before 6.30, because even without placing a curfew, Elizabeth knew that the sun set at 6.30, and she was terrified of the dark, and she was really scared of the woods at night. Okay. Yeah. So she really wasn't super worried about her not being home on time. She just said, well, okay, be home in an hour because I'm going to have dinner on the table. Yeah. When six o'clock came and Elizabeth didn't come home, her mom immediately calls the neighbor's house and Emma's grandmother answers. She says, oh, Elizabeth left. She, she, she's not at the house. 
Patty said, I just knew it wasn't right. They left together and the grandmother was telling me she was never there. That's when I called the police. Oh, so she, the grandmother was saying she was never there, not it's that she of, had left. It's kind of up for debate because we never get an exact timeline as to when it all occurs. Okay. So some places say like, oh, well, she said she left. Some places say that she had never, that she hadn't been there. So oh. I'm going to go with Patty said that the grandmother had said, oh, she hasn't been here. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of. My take on it, we'll talk a little bit about the timeline later and maybe we'll come up with our own theories. So the Cole County Sheriff's Department was called and they were on the scene in 15 minutes. The sheriff's deputy and Patty start heading over to the neighbor's house through the same path that Elizabeth would have taken. And everybody at the home said she's not here. And they searched the house and they looked like under the beds and everything and she wasn't there. And so they started a search. And by 10 o'clock, there were hundreds of people looking for Elizabeth. Now, this is a really small town. And I saw a statistic that it was like a significant portion of the town was looking for her. Like like 20, 30, 50% of the actual population of the town was out doing this search. And it is pouring rain. Oh, my goodness. Like, oh, the drama of this. So Emma's not missing, though. No, Emma is home. Yeah, Emma is not missing. Just Elizabeth. Does anything say what Emma... I mean, I know Emma's young, but did she say? I don't really know because she's a minor and so a lot of her stuff was redacted. Yeah. So you can't really tell what Emma has to say about it. Okay. Yeah. So Elizabeth also had a borrowed cell phone that her mom had given her. I don't know if it was a spare phone or just an extra cell phone or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But she'd given it to Elizabeth before she left the house. And she starts calling it nonstop, but the calls are all going to voicemail. So the investigators start contacting the cell phone company and start emergency pinging the phone to try and pinpoint its location. Yeah. You know, GPS stuff. So our main detective, his name is Sergeant David Rice. And he said, quote, the pings from the phone all were located in the general area of the woods. It was a large wooded area behind the house, but it's thick forest and a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. They sent out a missing persons report to everybody, including the FBI, because at this point, this child has been missing for several hours. They know she's generally in the area, but they can't put their hands on her or her phone is missing and she's been taken. Yeah. They did a search of the woods in the area. They had checkpoints set up for everything. They had tracked down all of the registered sex offenders. They had planes in the airs, dog teams, dive teams for ponds and rivers nearby. They were doing everything they could to locate this child. The problem they had, though, was that they were looking for an alive nine-year-old girl. Yeah. Not a dead nine-year-old girl. Wednesday night wraps up. No signs of Elizabeth. They have to call in a night between... I mean, they worked all night. It was pouring rain. They had to go home at some point. Yeah. I mean, they worked in shifts, obviously. On Thursday, during the search back up at the house where the Bustamantes lived, they had searched through the house for Elizabeth. I mentioned that earlier, and I think that's obvious, that they obviously looked in the house for her first. Yeah, of course. But after they were done looking for clues, they started, like, searching the property for evidence. And at the same time, they were interviewing Alyssa. I should also say that they're searching the property with consent from the family. So the grandparents were like, yeah, Yeah. whatever you want. Like, look, we want to find this child. Yeah. 
So the FBI is involved. They're talking with Alyssa. And at the same time, the grounds crew stumble upon what they think is a shallow grave. They called in a team to process that particular scene as if it was a crime scene. And at the same time, the FBI kind of walk over with Alyssa because Alyssa is showing them around the woods. And Alyssa admitted to them that she dug the hole. And when they asked her why, she said that she often dug graves for dead animals because she felt like it was respectful to them. Okay. I mean, like, weird, but kids are weird sometimes. And, like, she said she dug the hole, whatever. And the hole is empty. Oh, okay. Like, it's an empty hole. It wasn't a filled-in hole. But Sergeant Rice wasn't super convinced. He was determined that this hole was the right size for somebody like Elizabeth. He was convinced that it was a grave for a child's body. When officers at the house started searching through Alyssa's room... They found kind of a troublesome scene. The walls had a lot of strange writing on it. Some of it was in pen, and one section was even written in blood. We know that it's written in blood because she wrote on there, this is written in blood. (laughs) Which is a very teenager thing to do. Yeah. Especially young teenager. exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a 15-year-old thing to do. She had written suicidal poems and had lots of strange drawings, including a really weird drawing of her sister, Emma. She had postcards and letters from her dad, who was in prison. But the most important thing that they found during the search was Alyssa's diary. On October 21st, there was a large paragraph that had been scribbled over in blue ink. October 21st was the same day that Elizabeth had disappeared. Yes. You know how sometimes when you scratch things out on notebook paper, you can still see the imprint of of where things were? Yeah, like that happens here. It's not, this isn't the smartest like cover up situation. The FBI takes this in and they start looking at it and it reads, quote, I just fucking killed someone. I strangled them and slit their throat and stabbed them and now they are dead. I don't know how to feel at the moment. It was amazing. As soon as you get over the, oh my God, I can't do this feeling, it's pretty enjoyable. I'm kind of nervous and shaky though right now. Hey, I got to go to church now, LOL. Oh my God. Yes. So after several days of questioning everybody else that they can think of, from Alyssa's boyfriend to her friend Jennifer, and poor Dustin, her boyfriend's name is Dustin, the poor kid, they put him through hell test, like, you know, questioning him, and he had no idea what was going on. And finally, when they told him, about like the crime after everything had been kind of settled and and figured out yeah he got so sick he like was throwing up the poor thing he had no idea what was going on i mean he's just a 16 year old kid and it just he's like i just liked a girl i know i felt bad because they (laughs) (laughs) yeah because they were just trying to like figure out oh did she have an accomplice or whatever and um he's like no no i I just just like boobs i just wanted to kiss her maybe hold her hand boy (laughs) like yeah Her friend Jennifer shed some more light onto Alyssa's homicidal tendencies. Alyssa would tell her friend that that she wanted to kill random classmates just as they were, like, walking down the hall. Sometimes she said things like, I wonder what it would be like to just kill someone, to see the life drain out of someone. I wonder what it would feel like to take that power, take that away from someone. But, of course, her friend chalked it up to just, like, teen emo angst. It's never kids. Yeah, it's always weird. There shouldn't be kids listening to this, but if there are... (laughs) There definitely are. I'm sure there are. If there are. Yeah, if your friend 
Or if you're having thoughts, like, yeah. I wonder what that would be like. Seek help. Yeah, maybe it'd just be like, hey, mom, Seek hey, help. dad, I think that's, I need to talk to somebody. That's not normal angst. Yeah. So after they'd gathered a little bit more information, et cetera, et cetera, they brought Alyssa back into the FBI's headquarters or where they had set up mm-hmm. to try and get a confession because they had the diary. They kind of know what they're dealing with here, but yeah. they have to figure out all of the in-between stuff. Yeah. I watch a lot of interrogations when I'm doing true crime cases. As you guys know, I usually mention them. This one was really interesting and it had some stuff worth noting. So Sergeant Rice was the one asking all the questions. In the room was Alyssa, Sergeant Rice, her grandmother, and a woman named Maya, who was a, I don't know her title, but she was basically supposed to be an advocate. Okay. So Maya's role in this case is very, very, very specific. Her role is to make sure that no one takes advantage of Alyssa's rights as a minor, to make sure that those rights aren't violated. Right. Interrogations with minors can be tricky because they're more prone to manipulation. And so- There's a fine line when interrogating somebody of manipulating them to tell you the truth versus manipulating them to tell you what you want to hear. Yes. And children are super prone to that. So her whole goal is to make sure that A, that doesn't happen. Right. And B, to just advocate for her because she is younger and sometimes you need that. Now, she's not an attorney. She is not there to give any sort of legal advice. And she is technically not there to assist in the interrogation at all. Right. I don't know if maybe she just forgot her role a little bit or if she came in and had already decided that Alyssa was guilty, but she oversteps boundaries several times and this does become a problem later. Oh, that's not good. No, like she's clearly not on Alyssa's side and it's not that she's supposed to be on Alyssa's side, but Alyssa should have been able to trust her to say like, hey, I'm here to make sure that you don't get taken advantage of. And it's very clear from the get-go that that that's not really why she's there. Like, she's there for that on paper, but she wasn't going to do that efficiently. But she, yeah. So she would... She biased because she probably already had enough information yeah. to determine, oh, you're guilty, and then exactly. struggled with her bias. Yeah. Like, teenagers and kids know when somebody is not their friend. Like, they know if it's an adult or an authority figure versus somebody who is on their side. And it was very clear that Maya was an authority figure to her. It was not, she was not there to be, like, Alyssa's equal. Mm. Gotcha. Um, She used terms like we when she referred to herself and Sergeant Rice or the police or the investigation. Like, you can tell us, you can tell we don't care if you were, because they asked her, like, oh, when you were out in the woods, were you smoking? Like, this is a situation where we don't care if you were aligning herself with the detective versus saying like it's okay if you were they don't care yeah versus aligning herself with Alyssa. yeah not to mention she would interrupt sergeant rice she would ask more probing questions to try and get Alyssa to talk more and when Alyssa does eventually give them more information and sergeant rice leaves the room Alyssa asks her like what's going to happen to me now and she starts talking to her about what could happen next and that's not her role at all yeah. You can't do that. It's considered like heavy manipulation. And it's like basically saying you're, you're doing the exact thing that you're trying hired, to protect her from. You're yeah. hired to not. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, at one point, Alyssa gives them more information. And then Sergeant leaves the room along with her grandmother leaves the room. And Alyssa asks her, like, what are they going to do to me now? 
And she's like, okay, well, have you ever been hospitalized? And she says, yes, I have. She says, okay, well, the teen program is really, is very much geared towards treatment. Like the juvenile program is geared towards treatment. Once we get out of here and we make some decisions, we'll, we'll talk about what that looks like for you, but you have to cooperate. Like, which is very much turning it into, okay, well, if you cooperate with us, if you give us what we want to hear, we'll, we'll give you the treatment option rather than, yeah. Yeah. Which, like, I don't know if she was intentionally doing that to try and give her more information, but anyway. Lady, you don't get to decide that. She was interrupting and disrupting what was an excellent line of questioning from Detective Rice. But of course. Or Sergeant Rice, I'm sorry. Right. But of course, he can't kick her out because she's supposed to be there to advocate. He only, like, says something to her or corrects her one time. Like, he interrupts her with his hand and is like, stop talking. Yeah. Because she was interrupting him and he was getting results from her. And he didn't, I don't think that he did anything that was out of the ordinary for questioning of somebody of her age. You know what I'm saying? So Sergeant Rice begins talking with her about establishing a timeline, as they typically do. Yes. And slowly he finds holes in the armor that is Alyssa. He starts by finding a problem with her timeline on digging the hole and her hole digging hobby that she has. <laughs> okay. Basically, they were like, when did you dig the hole? And she was like, Sunday. And they were like, um, but weren't you at your mom's on Sunday? And she was like, yeah, but I got home at this time. And then she was like, well, but it, but you said it was daylight when you dug the hole. And if you got home at 630, the sun was down. Oh, so then it couldn't have been Sunday. Okay, but when I talked to you and your grandfather the other day, you were both positive 100% that you dug the hole on Sunday. Like, they were finding issues with what they were saying. Yeah. So, eventually, they lead into, well, like, okay, what do you think happened? What do you think happened? And Alyssa's like, I don't think anything happened. Like, I, I think that maybe she got lost or maybe somebody took her. Like, She's telling them what other people already think. She's leaning into what other people already think happened. And then they get to a point where Detective Rice starts talking about things that were taken during the search of their home. And this is when Alyssa learns that they have taken her diary. And you see a shift in the way that the detective is talking with her. You see a shift Mm -hmm. in her demeanor. And I feel like you can see the whole room, like, get tenser. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think this is really smart. Detective Rice asks her grandmother, do you read her diary? Have you ever read anything in it? And she's like, well, I've read some things. And of course, that sends Alyssa like over the edge because he said, did you know about that? She says, no. He says, does that upset you? And she says, yes. And her grandmother's like, I don't like intentionally read it if it's just out. Like I see that she's writing in it, but the the trust is broken. Yeah. And I don't know if he like thought about that intentionally, but it worked in his favor. Yeah. Because then he starts talking about how you can't really erase things once you've written them on paper Mm -hmm. and that the FBI has technology to be able to see those things. And then he said, we have your diary and we've read your diary, even the last entry. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. I don't remember if it was before the diary thing or after the diary thing. I think it had to have been after that. Alyssa starts saying what kind of happened. She starts giving the half-truth. He said, so tell me what happened. And she said, well, we were walking in the woods and she fell and hit her head and she died. Yeah. And he said, and then what? 
Like, okay, say that that's the truth. And then what? And so Alyssa said that her story was, and she stuck to this for a little bit, that Elizabeth had fallen. She had hit her head. She died. Alyssa panicked. She was going to put her in the one of the graves that she had dug. Instead, she burned the body. And then when the investigator was like, that's not really how that works. She was like, well, I burned some of it. And then the rest of it I threw in the creek. Mm. No. And so some people might think that this is a plausible explanation for the body. But if you really think about it, we we know how hard it is to burn a body. Do you know how hot a fire has to be <laughs> to burn a body? It takes a long time because it, it it's got to get hot. Yes. And hot, it takes hot, longer hot. than two hours for the body to actually burn once it gets to temperature. Yes. So they knew, A, nobody. She was not gone for that long. Her, according to her timeline, she was gone for maybe 30 minutes. This whole event happened over 30 minutes. Yeah. Two, there would have been so much evidence of a fire. And, and three, she, no. Yeah. So Sergeant Rice tells her, like, hey, like, I I see what you're saying, but no matter what happens, there's going to be an autopsy. And even if it's just on some bones, they can tell what happened based on the bones. Yeah. And she says, no. He's like, why did she, why did you kill her? And he said, I, she said, like, I didn't. She died. And he lets the silence hang. He lets her tell her story again. And finally, he just says, was her throat cut? And Alyssa says yes, and her grandmother breaks down and cries. Alyssa then asks, can grandma leave? And they allow her grandmother to leave. Yeah. And, like, props to grandma because she's sitting there. Like, she stood up, and then she sat back down, and she was going to (laughs) stay. Like, I don't know if she didn't know if she had a choice or if she wanted to stay for Alyssa. Yeah. But they, Alyssa asked if she could, if they would let her leave, and she left. Her grandmother goes outside, and I'm not sure who, but somebody clearly tried to comfort her, not knowing what had just been revealed in the room. And her grandmother just hysterically screams, no, it will never be okay. Yeah. Sergeant Rice begins to help her fill in the blanks and finally makes some progress on getting more of a confession. She keeps trying to lie her way through the mess, and the reason she keeps lying is to make it seem that it wasn't premeditated. Yeah. So it's an interesting reason, like, it's it's fascinating to me the reason that she lied, and it's fascinating to me how smart she was, because basically what we now know was that five days before the crime com- was committed, Alyssa dug two graves. Dose. Two. The investigators had not found Elizabeth's body. They had found the first grave that was empty. They had not found the second one that had Elizabeth in it. If they found that body and they knew there were two graves, that is clearly premeditated. And she, I don't know if she knew that it was going to get her more time or if she just thought like that it was worse. You know what I'm saying? Like ethically worse if they knew she had planned it in advance. But she knew that she didn't want them to find the body. And that's the whole reason she was saying that she burned it and then threw it in a creek was that she didn't want them to realize that she still had it. Yeah. It's fascinating to me that a 15 year old was thinking that thoroughly. She didn't have her Um, lives together, like, at all. She didn't have her story straight. Yeah, but she was obviously into some stuff beforehand. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're struggling with certain types of mental health that cause you to want to do things, like, 
snuff the light out of somebody's eyes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. So I'm gonna kind of lean away from her lying and her speculating about the story, and I'm gonna tell you what actually happened. Okay. Okay. Basically, Sergeant Rice tells us later, he reiterates the story mm-hmm. that Alyssa had sent her her sister Emma to go get Elizabeth, which she wasn't supposed to go do by herself, but she t- she sent her anyway. Mm-hmm. And Alyssa and Emma were really close. And like that's she, even though she had some weird things about Emma written in her diary and written on her walls, for all intents and purposes, Emma trusted her because earlier in the day, I don't even talk about this because it just gets messier in the timeline and stuff. But earlier in the day, Emma had fallen to a thorn bush and she screams and calls out for Alyssa to come help her. And Alyssa hears her from inside the house and comes running out of the house to go get her sister. Like, yeah, she's super protective of her sister and she cared about her, which is kind of this weird juxtaposition as to the rest of the way that like she handled Elizabeth. It's very strange to me. So she Emma trusted her is my point. And Emma went to go get Elizabeth. When she and Emma finished playing, she basically took Elizabeth by the hand and told Emma to go inside and go home and that she would take her, she would take Elizabeth home. Okay. Instead, she told Elizabeth, hey, like, I have something really neat to show you. I want to show you this way. It's just a little bit further up here. And she took her a quarter mile into the woods, about a 15 minute walk, which again, gives her plenty of time to think about what she's doing. And she did it anyway. Mm-hmm. She led her to the pre-dug grave and she had a kitchen knife with her. She began to strangle her facing her forward, like facing her face. And she then stabbed her in the chest, I believe six or seven times, and then cut her throat. Mm. That's how Sergeant Rice explained it. The autopsy gives us a little bit more information. Okay. Elizabeth had her throat cut probably first according to the autopsy because that's what killed her fairly quickly she was then strangled her wrists were slit and she was stabbed up to eight times some sources say the six or seven number Mm -hmm. the highest number we get is eight okay her body was put into that grave and Alyssa used her hands to push dirt over it and then put leaves on top of it and then of course it rained you know kind of sinking everything in and it made it difficult for them to find it Elizabeth loved Hannah Montana and Taylor Swift. She was buried in a pink casket and was the girliest girl ever. She would have been 23 years old this year if her life had not been taken from us. She was laid to rest on October 28, 2009. Her casket was pulled by a a horse-drawn carriage to where she was laid to rest. Mm. Boo. Really sad. I cried a lot researching this case because I saw pictures of her funeral and everybody had these pink balloons and just the community rallied behind her so hard. So in the trial in in November, like early November, Alyssa is certified to be tried as an adult at 15. Okay. Which is kind of a borderline age for me. 15 is weird. Her defense attorney's name was Kurt Valentine, and he pled with the judge, and he was like, bro, please don't try her as an adult, because if you try her as an adult, she's eligible for the death penalty, and that's just not, I don't want that. But the judge rejected the argument. Yeah. Unfortunately, due to, quote, manipulations, 
in her interrogation, parts of her confession to Sergeant Rice were in- inadmissible. Yeah. We don't know which parts weren't allowed because all of it is public record now. You can find the whole interrogation and everything she says, but you can't find her actual confession. So you don't gotcha. you don't know exactly what part it is. I mean, you can find I'm sorry. You can find her telling him that her slo- her throat was slit and everything like that. But when I switched over to saying what Sergeant Rice told us mm-hmm. of the actual details of the crime, that's what's like harder to find. That's okay. what was inadmissible. Yeah. And anyway, that position of the confession being inadmissible was enough of an upset to kind of delay her trial a lot. Mm. Um, and she was able to, in the end, make a really insane plea deal. She withdrew her not guilty plea because she was pleading not guilty in order to fight the confession being admitted and et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and she pled guilty to second degree murder and armed criminal action. During her sentencing hearing, she spoke to the family, telling them that she wishes she could give her life for Elizabeth. The family does not believe this. They think it's all BS that was fed to her by her attorneys. Yeah. They don't think it's genuine. She is sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of conditional release and a consecutive 30-year sentence for the armed criminal action charge. Okay. Under Missouri law, she will serve 35 years and five months because they are being served concurrently together. Right. Then she will be eligible for parole. But I'm not holding my breath for that. Alyssa petitioned in for an appeal in 2014, which was promptly denied. Her appeal was kind of weak at best. They pretty much just brought up failed counsel and technicality issues, and there was nothing really there. There's not room for her to appeal. And none of the judges or anybody who looks at this case in that county gives her any slack at all. Yeah. So in addition to her criminal suit from the state, she's also sued civilly by Elizabeth's mother. And this was settled out of litigation for $400,000 for wrongful death. And part of this settlement included, you know, making sure that the son of Sam Law is mentioned and that any funds that Alyssa made off the case would have to be, like, reported. Yeah. So. I know. I thought it was interesting that they settled it as well for a wrongful death. I don't know. Initially, I was thinking, like, who's settling it? She's 15. Like, yeah. Who? It's weird. How does that work? I don't think it was the kind of thing you get any money from, really. Yeah. But then I thought, okay, so you're not actually going to get any money from that. And then when you said the son of Sam thing and the. um, So there are movies based on Alyssa's life. There is a couple TV episodes and that sort of thing. So anything that she does make does not go to her. Yeah. Well, that's good. I always like to hear that. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I'm going to touch on before we wrap this one up is that during her trial, before she withdrew her not guilty plea, mm-hmm. they did have her evaluated by psychiatrists for an insanity defense. And those things were reported on. They were public. And basically, several different doctors diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder and major depressive disorder. So that is kind of the only explanation we really get because there's no clear motive. There's no clear answer for this case. Unfortunately, it's just a a tragedy. Yeah. And borderline personality disorder does not 
it's not one of those things that often correlates with like that level of violence yeah. or anything like that. It, it, so the whole situation is very strange to me because when you look at like on an escalation scale, what really occurred was that her violence against herself escalated mm-hmm. and then she took it out on a child, but it was such a violent death. Mm-hmm. Like the way that she, and then you, ugh, ugh, it was horrible. And it's just so weird to me that it just came out of nowhere. I mean, it didn't, but it did at the same time. And I don't know if you've caught this or if you've had this question. I'm sure somebody listening has. A lot of people wonder why she dug two graves five days before the crime. She's never spoken about it. Nobody's ever said anything. But a lot of people believe that she had intended to kill her two brothers who were around the same age-ish and the same size. Oh. And that she'd really only killed Elizabeth because the opportunity kind of presented itself. Some people say that instead of saying, oh, I sent Emma to go get Elizabeth, she really just told Emma, yeah, it's okay if you go get Elizabeth. Because remember, she's not supposed to go, you know, down the road without help or without a person. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I kind of assumed that maybe she started to dig the one and then realized this isn't a good place (laughs) and then dig and then found another spot or... At one point when you said it was dug, but it wasn't, it was just the hole was there. Yeah. I thought, is Elizabeth under there? And she's trying to tell the detective, like, she oh. didn't fill it in all the way. And so she's just trying to tell the detective, oh, I sometimes do this. And they're not necessarily going to look no. there because yeah. it's still somewhat of a hole. But really, yeah, Elizabeth is down deeper. Nope. Yeah, the interrogation is it's interesting if you ever get the, you know, the the one you the want to watch it. It's in the it's in the show notes. The YouTube video, it's about an hour long. It's good. And I I think that the investigator or detect or sergeant rice does a good job. He really finds a way to harp on on the things that to anybody else would seem innocuous and not important. Mm-hmm. But when he really describes why he's because he bugged her a lot about the shape and the uniqueness of the hole that she had dug. And he was like, well, do you dig them all? Do you all dig them all like that? Or did you dig this one like this on purpose? Or was it just because of this? Or when did you dig it? How did you dig it? What shovel did you use? And at one point she's like, well, I used a knife. And he was like, I was out there for five hours yesterday digging around. You did not use a knife to dig that hole. Like, and she was like, well, no, they're not all dug that way. And then he was able to say, so then why did you dig that one that way? Why was it that size? Normally, when you're burying animals, you don't dig them that big. Da, 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 da. Like, mm-hmm. I liked watching him interrogate. It was interesting. Yeah. Especially with somebody that young and obviously not, like, she's never been in trouble before. Yeah. Yada, yada. I, th- I would think just playing the 20 questions alone yeah. would wear her out easily. Mm-hmm. to where she slips up and says something i mean and it doesn't even take him that long i mean and i should i should clarify she had been questioned before several different times yeah but this time they had the diary this was the difference yes. was they had they had the information he just had to get to it he had to wear her down first then bring up the diary yeah so it was he did a good job um yeah i just wish that we had more answers than we do but i don't think that there are any and that's the sad thing yeah I- I think sometimes people who kill don't have answers themselves. Yeah. They can't explain why they did what they did. Yeah. 
So in honor of Elizabeth, if you want to leave an emoji at the end of this episode, leave anything pink. Anything pink. Anything pink. There's a pink heart. I'm sure there's other pink things. Leave us something there's pink. pink. Like there's a nice Flowers. pink flower. Yeah. I know that. Leave us something pink in honor of Elizabeth, um, our girly girl. And we hope that you enjoyed. Yeah. As much as you can. This is a bummer. This is kind of a bummer of a case. Yeah. A little bit. But thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> for bumming you out. I, but, you know. It's okay. I'm usually the one bumming people out. Yeah, so. that's true. I Listen, I still think the case is interesting. It's just it hard is. because Elizabeth is such a just a very human person. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, everybody knows a girly nine-year-old. Like, you, you, it's easy to humanize yeah. her. Well, and the age and the innocence yeah. of it all. And like, it's, it's just different. Like, when you hear about other adult victims especially, like, I think every, everybody has or everybody should have compassion. But I don't yeah. know. There's something about, like, I, you know. I think people realize, like, well, they lived a life and it got ended too soon. But when you hear somebody that young, yeah. it's like, no, that's way too soon. Yeah. That's it's they haven't yeah. even they've barely began their lives at nine years old. So it's so tough. But, you know, it it's I think good for us true crime listeners every once in a while to kind of step back and to see yeah. the difficult stuff and, and really remember why we look into this stuff as as, you know, we do. Yeah. Show business. <laughs> Show business. All right. Well, <laughs> never on end. that note, uh, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Leave us something pink. And yes. yeah, thanks for listening. Mwah. Bye. Till next time. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.